Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. It is show number 36 of the MMA podcast that brings you fighting talk with a distinctly British flavour. My name is Simon Head and joining me, and he's told me, ladies and gentlemen, that he, this is the freshest he's been for a Brit Pack show in many a week, is Mr. Chimat Karsandu. How are you, Matt? I'm very well, mate. I'm very well. Yes, uh, normally uh, the Sunday night UFC um, event coverage which ends at about 6 a.m., um, knocks me and rocks me for a couple of days. But I'm not feeling too bad today, so I'm, I'm, I should be firing on all cylinders. You can carry me this week because I'm knackered. So, <laughs> but yeah, no, it should be good. It should be good. This is going to be uh, a relatively short show. Now, we, we promise each other every week before we go on air that we'll keep it relatively short. And it normally ends up being like a two-hour monster, monster recording. This week we're going to try and keep it relatively short and we're going to need a little bit of your help in, in the coming weeks and we will talk about that towards the end of the show um, to find out exactly what you want to hear from us while we're in between some of the big shows. We've got a few things in, in mind as well but uh, yeah, we're going to call on you for a little bit of advice as well. But this weekend, Sandu, as you say, UFC Fight Night in Nashville, Tennessee, the main event that everybody wanted to see, Cub Swanson versus Artem Lobov and uh, people were hating on this main event for a minute one and you know what it wasn't that bad in the end you know Artem went in there and I think I said on last week's show that he deserves a little bit more respect than he's getting from people who are slagging off the main event it was a it was it was competitive in so much as Lobov stood there and traded as best he could Swanson looked to cut above but You've got to give Lobov the credit. He went in there. He did a great job of being a good foil for Swanson during fight week. And uh, I think he came away with a lot more respect than perhaps he went in with, which I think uh, is a good thing for him. Yeah, I mean, look, look, in terms of his performance, he probably performed to the absolute maximum of his potential and to the best of his ability. Now, is that ability good enough to, say, knock out and defeat or submit the top five, six, seven, eight featherweights in the world? Probably not. But he got himself into a situation where he was able to test himself and see if he could. Now, he wasn't knocked out. He wasn't submitted. But he was, over the course of 25 minutes, outclassed, outmastered by a true veteran in Cub Swanson who's got more fights under his belt, has fought much more higher-level competition throughout his entire career compared to Artem Lobov. But, you know, in in Lobov's defense, you know, he, he did give you know, Cub a really tough first round. He, and he won that first round on the judges' scorecards and I think on everyone's scorecards. And and already at that in that first round, everyone was like, well, hang on a second. You know, and I, and I saw Dan Stutt, you know, the MMA junkie uh, co-founder and owner kind of say, well, it would have been interesting if this was a three-round fight. And, uh, you know, that kind of does make you think if this was a co-main event, for example how uh, the second and third round would have fared for Artem. Maybe he would have, you know, expended a little bit more energy uh, to perhaps, you know, close out another round and then it would have been all on Cubs' hands to try and finish him in the third. But it was a five-round fight. He um, definitely won the first round. But after that, you know, Cub Swanson kind of really started to kind of trade and kind of let go of his hands. And I think our very own Mike Bond of MMA Junkie said he's uh, rattled off 209 significant strikes which is the most in any featherweight fight in UFC and WEC history, which is an, which is an amazing stat 
in itself. But um, you know, before we talk about Cub Swanson, in terms of Artem Lobov, um, he co- I think he comes away and people's respect for him has definitely improved. You know, he's definitely got a hell of a chin on him. Um, and uh, and I'm sure, you know, again, with some you know careful matchmaking, there are definitely fighters on the roster that he can beat. And he'll come back, I suppose, to Dublin and to this European UFC circuit, um, able to perhaps get on some more cards down the road. Yeah, I think those of us who've been operating in the European scene for as long as we have, we were aware of Artem before he got onto the Ultimate Fighter and obviously ended up in, in the UFC. And the one thing that he is renowned for, and his record in many ways reflects this, he, will, he doesn't turn fights down. He will step in at one day's notice, one week's notice. He doesn't care. He just loves to get in there and test himself. And this was a great opportunity for him. He made this main event happen. Um, and uh, I know people were saying it's not a worthy main event. What is he doing in a main event? All this sort of stuff. But he made this opportunity happen for himself. And in many ways, I think it's a bit of a, a bit of an example to some other fighters in the UFC, what you can actually achieve if you're prepared to actually stick your neck out and, 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 and say, say a few words now and again. Artem isn't a trash talker, really. He's, 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 quite, a, he's quite a quietly spoken guy. Um, he sometimes comes across as a bit intense, but he's actually a great guy to deal with. He's very respectful. He's a true martial artist, and he gets in there with a lot of respect for his opponents. And he said the things he needed to say to get the fight that he wanted to get. Um, it didn't go his way. As you say, Swanson outclassed him. There were there was a clear difference in levels between the two. But what you did see from Lobov was an awful lot of heart and he fought for 25 minutes of the fight. He didn't stop for the entire fight. And I agree with you. I thought he shaded the opening round. Two of the judges agreed as well. They gave, I think they gave him the opening round. 49-46 on two of the cards. The third card gave it uh, as a whitewash to Cub Swanson. 50-45. But uh, yeah, I don't think Lobov did himself any harm at all. And promoters need fighters like him. People who will just step in and compete any time, any place, anywhere. And, um, you know, this this was a, a bit of a coming out party for him, if you like. You know, a big, a big spotlight for him. Uh, perhaps he just overreached a little bit. Um, it'd be interesting to see who they put him with next. Obviously, they're going to have to move him down a level a bit. But what we do know is that he's a guy who can go in there and even against the top, top contender like Cub Swanson, he can go in there and be competitive and put on a competitive contest. He lost the fight, deserved and, and and deservedly so, if you like. But I thought he did. A, I thought he did a good job. And as you say, I think I, I don't think anyone can criticise him for for his output and you know the way the way he went about his business on fight night and beforehand. I thought he did. I thought he did a solid job. But obviously, the you know the main story to come out of that main event is what happens next for Cub Swanson. He's been around mm-hmm. this sport for so long. Um, he did have an opportunity at Jose Aldo many years ago. And got knocked out very quickly. And has never really been anywhere near a title shot since. Despite operating right at that elite level pretty much all the way through. Right now, the way the division seems to be shaking out, he might just be the next guy in line. What do you think? He called for that. He wasn't too aggressive in doing so. But he did say that he'd, in, in, in a very polite Cub Swanson kind of way, he said he'd like to fight the winner of the Max Holloway-Jose Aldo fight. And to me... 
that makes a lot of sense. I don't know. I don't know what they'd do with him otherwise. You know, maybe a Ricardo Lamas possibly, but I think maybe he he deserves it for longevity as much as anything. Yeah, I think depending on how things shake out, he could be in the running. Um, a few years ago, you know, he'd racked up this amazing six-fight win streak, and he was put into a position where he was um, fighting Frankie Edgar uh, in a main event. Uh, this is back in November of 2014, and he got his backside handed to him by Frankie Edgar, um, who ended up finishing him um, in the in, in the fifth round. In one of the you know more you know I, th- I think it was Demetrius Johnson's got the latest finish ever at four minutes and 59 seconds of the fifth round. Frankie Edgar that night got it done in four minutes and 56 seconds of the fifth round. But that was a pivotal fight for Cub Swanson because had he won that fight, he would have got uh, a crack at Jose Aldo back then. And then he followed that up by a, a consecutive loss at the time against Max Holloway. And then at the time you're thinking, oh, well, you know, have we seen the best days of Cub Swanson? Is he perhaps a little punch drunk? Can he not compete anymore? Has he not been able to evolve and develop his game uh, to, to compete against the likes of a young whippersnapper in Max Holloway? But what he's done is he's been able to build up yet another streak. Artem Lobov was his fourth straight victory. Now, what we've got is a very interesting situation developing in this, uh, I suppose, new um, featherweight division because we've got Jose Aldo and Max Holloway, uh, the official and the interim champion. Um, they're going to be fighting very, very shortly to unify those belts. But then we've got another fight um, booked between Yair Rodriguez and Frankie Edgar. Now, that fight could potentially produce a number one contender for the winner of Aldo and Holloway. But we don't know how that fight's going to develop and, and what's going to happen, if there's going to be any long-term injury sustained by the winner of that fight. We just don't know. So I think it might be in Cub Swanson's best interest, and I think he's going to do this anyway, is just to take some time out. He's sitting on a nice four-fight win streak. His missus is about to give birth in August, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I'm sure he wants to take some personal time out anyway. And to be fair, I think he should. Um, after going five rounds with Artem Lobov and uh, before that, uh, going uh, in a three rounds with the Korean Superboy, Do Ho Choi, it might be a good idea to kind of give his, uh, his skull and his body a bit of a rest anyway. Let's see how things shake out and develop. But I think you're looking at right now is Cub Swanson's in a position to potentially challenge for the title but we have to see how things shake out between Yaya Rodriguez and Frankie Edgar um, I think the winner of that fight might potentially just nudge Cub for the time being and then if that's the case I think Cub just needs one more fight against a, a top five ranked opponent uh, you mentioned Ricardo Lamas I'll be happy to, for him to fight Ricardo Lamas that, that would be a fight I'd like to see um, Ricardo Lamas does have um, a win against Cub Swanson uh, so that would be a nice little rematch. Um, and, you know, Lamas is also kind of ranked, you know, up or thereabouts with Cub. So, yeah, that one makes the, the world a sense, if, if he doesn't get the next title shot, of course. There's a lot of moving pieces to this whole featherweight picture because I agree with what you're saying about the uh, about the Frankie Edgar-Yair Rodriguez fight. But I think you've got, you've got two different things that need to fall into line, really. You've got Holloway faces Jose Aldo for the unified championship, right? If Aldo were to win that fight and Edgar were to beat um, Yair Rodriguez, I think Cub Swanson might just leapfrog to the front of the queue. 
Reason mm-hmm. for that is we've seen Edgar versus Aldo twice before. Yeah. Um, do we want to see it again straight away? Or do we want to see a different contender in there with Jose? And Swanson's got the rematch angle. He got beat badly, but that was a good few years ago now. You know, he's come back. He's, he's in good form. That's a sellable fight. I think if Yair Rodriguez wins, I don't think there's any shadow of a doubt he will get the push and he will get the title fight next. So from a business standpoint, I think that makes all the sense in the world to the UFC to push their, 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 their Mexican star. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And that's irrespective of who wins the title fight. So I think if Edgar and Aldo both win, Swanson comes into the picture. I guess it, it really depends on how long he wants to wait. Uh, Ricardo Lamas is is available. Um, Chan Sung Jung might well gate crash that little uh, championship picture as well. Um, so it is, there's there's lots of different things that we need to see play out almost before we know who's likely to be the number one contender. I think if Rodriguez wins, I think that's probably the cl- you know the clearest cut scenario. But I think if Edgar wins, and then it's down to whether Holloway beats Aldo. If Holloway beats Aldo then fine, we've got ourselves a fresh championship fight. But if it's Aldo versus Edgar 3, then it's a slightly tougher sell just because we've seen it before and Aldo has outpointed Edgar in fights that have been okay to watch, but they've not been sort of fight of the fight of the year contender fights, you know? So um, that might pump the brakes on that and then we might see a different a different contender come to the surface. But interesting to see how all of that shakes out. Someone else who I'm interested to see what happens with him is Al Iaquinta. He took on Diego Sanchez in the co-main event. And there was a big question mark over this. Um, Diego Sanchez is one of these guys. One minute you look at him and you think the guy is in ridiculously good shape. Uh, his cardio looked on point. Everything about him, he looked, he looked as good in fight week as we've seen him for a long time. But he has been through a lot of wars. And then you got Al Iaquinta who... Because of everything that's happened over the last few years, you know, he's, he's had two years away from the octagon where he was a contender or a, a rising contender at the time. How much of the fire had, had gone away from our Iaquinta during those two years off? And how would he be? How much ring rust would there be when he got back in there against a pressure fighter like Diego Sanchez? Well, we got the answer in, in uh, just under 100 seconds. Um, out Iaquinta, knocking out Diego Sanchez in pretty brutal fashion. One minute, 38 seconds. Um, as decisive a win as you could possibly wish for on your comeback after two years. Uh, didn't really see much evidence of ring rust. And Iaquinta looks like he's a force again. But after the fight, he's, he's, still, he's, he's still complaining to the UFC. He seemed pretty miffed that he didn't get a post-fight bonus. Um and we've got two fighters who they seem to be going in completely different directions. You've got Iaquinta who looks like he's on the way up, and Diego Sanchez who I'm, and you know we'll talk about him after Al, but he looks like he's going the other way. I mean, what did you make of Iaquinta, and where do you see him slotting in, given that he's been out for so long? He looked amazing, Simon. Really, really great performance. Um, and like you said, I think the big question mark on him was how he would perform. You know, being out for two years, he looked in great shape. He looked in good spirits, looked jovial as he was walking out, really kind of soaking up and enjoying the moment. And then he rattles off a few strikes and Diego Sanchez falls like a deck chair. 
you know. Um, and yeah, it's unfortunate this whole situation with him not happy with you know how he's being reimbursed for his performances for the UFC, and and that in itself is a topic. You know, it's kind of a strange one because you, the fighter, you're responsible for the contracts you sign. So you've already kind of agreed to the terms of the of the contract and what you're going to get paid, and these performance bonuses which can potentially be debatable on a night when there's so many great performances are still discretionary bonuses. So you're not guaranteed that money. Now I know he's kind of said in interviews, you know, there's been, you know, he's been disgruntled with some other things outside of, um, you know, what his show and win money is things like uh, appearances, media appearances, things for Reebok and, uh, and, and, you know, how much reimbursement, you know, goes on there. But, um, you know, I don't think we'd see him fight again. And he came back after two years because he needed to kind of, I suppose, fill his pockets. Um, he's just at the start of his real, real estate career. Um, and he kind of let that be known in his post-fight interview with Brian Stan as well. But for the life of me, I just wish that cooler heads could prevail here, both on the UFC side and on our side. Because what you've got here is arguably, you know, definitely one of the best fighters in the world in that lightweight division someone that's got plenty of upside given his age he's got a spunky personality which is you know fantastic a sellable marketable fighter um and you know you, you never want to i suppose you know dry the well of potential stars and you've got one on your hands here in Iaquinta, especially when the New York market is still fairly new to you and you want to still keep filling these kind of events. MSG is going to be easy because they're going to always throw their bigger stars at MSG. But what about when they go to Buffalo and Rochester and some of these other places? You know what I mean? So I'm really kind of hoping um, they sort things out because I just want to see him fight more consistently. He's great. Yeah, totally agree. And you, you absolutely hit the nail on the head with the New York thing. And it is about those other shows, you know, they're talking about, I think they're looking at a show in the Nassau Coliseum on Long Island, uh, which is home turf for, uh, for our Iaquinta, you know, and you mentioned, you know, the upstate New York shows and, you know, they talk about possibly Syracuse and, and, and Rochester and obviously we've had Buffalo, but that, that team, that Sarah Longo team, that should really be your, your sort of like your, your sort of home team for these events, you know, Al Jermaine Sterling, Jan Vellante, if you can get him on those shows as well, Chris Weidman, and Al Iaquinta. Um, and Iaquinta, I, I, I love him, I think he's great. But he's, the thing about him is he's, he's an exciting fighter to watch. You know, I think the fact that we hadn't seen him for two years, and he came back, and it, it, it was as if he'd, he'd fought sort of eight weeks ago. He didn't look like he missed a beat at all. He looked outstanding, and put on a great performance. I just hope, as you say, that both him and the UFC can get around the table, sort something out. I don't know how many fights he's got left on his existing contract, but it, you know, maybe re-up him, tweak it, because I think he's got a pre-Reebok contract right now, I think. Um, so I think for those fighters who've got contracts that were signed pre-Reebok, there's an argument for saying maybe those guys need renegotiating, but those contracts are signed, right? So, you know, it's, it's, it's a tricky one. But the best thing you can do, I guess, is to fight that contract through as quickly as you can because that way you're getting closer to the, you know, the time when you can get your new deal. Um, and someone like Iaquinta would be a valuable asset to Bellator as well. He's a good age uh, and that would be a, a, good, a good get for them, which means he, he will have options. 
So the best thing he can do is to stay as active as he possibly can while building his own star power within the UFC, market himself well. Um, you know, he's marketing real estate, market himself um, and, uh, and, and keep taking competitive fights, keep winning competitive fights. And even if you drop in the occasional defeat every now and again, be competitive in those losses. Just stay relevant in that lightweight conversation. Then when it comes the time for your deal to be re-upped, you're in a position where you say, look, I, I currently live and train in your number one market in the US. You're looking to be doing at least four shows a year in this in this region. I'm here, I you know, and I you know, I can draw for you in those smaller territories within New York. So, you know, Madison Square Garden, Barclays Center, easy. But the other ones, people like Al Iaquinta can be really valuable. So I think that's that's probably the best way forward for him. Um, I don't want to see him leave the UFC. I think he's just getting started, really. And you know, he could go on a run if he can keep if he can keep everything together and not be too distracted by outside things. Leave that to his management to deal with. Concentrate on becoming the best fighter in the world. He could become a serious threat. I mean, he already is a serious threat. But imagine how Ira Quinter on a four-fight win streak. And he's going to be knocking on the door. So mm-hmm. stay active. Stay active. Keep those uh, those competitive fights coming. And, you know, by all means, talk about your contractual position if you must. But it's all about, you know, the more relevant you are inside the octagon, the easier it's going to be for you to strike a deal outside the octagon. So I think that's got to be the way forward for our eye quinter. Let's talk about the other side of the coin, Sandy. Diego Sanchez, the original ultimate fighter, um, someone who demands and deserves all the respect in the world from fellow fighters, media members, fans. You know, he's a great guy to chat to. He's a he's he's a great guy to watch fight. He's been involved in some absolute slobber knockers inside the octagon, to quote uh, good old JR. And it looks to me like it's coming it's coming to to an end for him. He's he's been in a lot of wars, he's taken a lot of shots and Granted, our Iaquinta is a is a heavy puncher. I'm not sure that Diego Sanchez of five years ago would have dropped quite as quickly as that. Um, but his his punch resistance doesn't seem to be there anymore, and I don't know who's going to be the person to do it. Whether it's whether it's his coaches, whether it's his family, or, or whether it's the UFC. It feels to me, and I say this out of nothing but respect for the guy. I think it's getting to the time where someone needs to have the chat to him. And sit down and say, Diego, we need to we need to look after you, and and we, you know we might be getting to the stage where, you know, we we need to think about planning planning the retirement, and mate, if he wants one more, maybe try and get him one more close to home. If he's in Albuquerque, try and get try and get something out that way, relatively close, so he can go out as close to home as he can, if that's what he wants to do. Um, but also look at the level of opposition he's in there with. Um, you know, get him, get him fighting a bit further down the ladder, perhaps. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm at the stage now where I don't want to see Diego Sanchez get beat up anymore. Um, I've got so much respect for the guy, and I hope that the people around him are are, are able to have that chat to him because uh, I know Diego is a he's a very he's very very strong willed. Uh, and very, very confident in his own ability. But I think we're at that stage in his career now. What do you think? 
Yeah, 100%. <clears throat> I tweeted over, over the weekend, much like Uriah Faber, never technically won a UFC championship, but he did enough in the sport to warrant headlining a Hall of Fame class, which he's going to be doing this year. Diego Sanchez can headline a Hall of Fame class for Absolutely. the UFC Absolutely. in the next couple of years. You know, you, you you start off with him, and then you build a Hall of Fame class around him for that inducted inducted class, because he's just done so much specifically for the UFC. You mentioned he was the original Ultimate Fighter, but not just with his performances. He's been in some classic wars. Um, he's just a, a fight week get for er, any media member. You know, he's had so many amazing classic moments and in interviews leading up to his fight. He's gone from being the nightmare to the dream, going back to being the nightmare to being the Lionheart. He's always reinventing himself. He's always trying to market himself. He's this has been so many incarnations of Diego Sanchez over the years. But like you said, um, up until just last July, he'd only had one knockout loss on his record. And now he's had two in the space of a year. You know, he's definitely getting up there in age. He's 35. Now, for in, in MMA, I do feel as though um, 35 isn't too much on the way down, especially in some of the higher weight classes and, you know, welterweight, middleweight and, and, and beyond. I, I think in MMA, you can have a, a slightly longer career than, say, perhaps boxing or other combat sports just because of the, of, the, of, the, of the way the skill sets are involved with mixed martial arts. Um, but I think he's just been in so many um, wars and, you know, when you get dropped like that by a power puncher like Ally Quinter. But then also it's like, what do you do if you're not trying to, like, he's very passionate, he wants to fight the best and he wants to be, he was again, like he was the, the, you know, in the March in Held fight, you know, when he won, the, he's always thinking to himself, right, well, this is going to be my, the start of my run for another title shot, you know? And I don't know if he would be comfortable in his own mind to just be a gatekeeper or to be a placeholder on a card fighting the up-and-comers. So I agree. I, I think what you do is you first of all let him have some time off, maybe six, nine months, maybe even a year, and then just wait until the right card presents itself, whether it's in somewhere on the West Coast, maybe in Albuquerque or Mexico, um, in, in a place that's going to mean something for him uh, in terms of a retirement fight. And I think you give him the retirement fight, Simon. Um, let him go um, out. Uh, let it be built up. Let that moment be something that we're promoting Diego Sanchez final fight but yeah i think it's time to call it a day yeah the one fight that i wouldn't mind seeing him in if they could ever get it made would be the dan hardy fight i think i think that that fight is one that i think they could do the fact that dan has been away for as long as he has and he'd be coming back as a as a lightweight then i think that that's a fight that they could they could make um there is also the danger that the same could happen to Diego because Dan Hardy is a power striker as well. But I think with the length of time that Dan's been out and the fact that Dan will be dropping down in weight, I think there's enough of an intangible there for that fight to maybe still be relevant. But really, if you start looking, I mean, just looking down the fight card, we had Stevie Ray versus Joe Lozon and Joe Lozon beat Diego Sanchez back at UFC. I want to say UFC 200. Was it UFC 200? I think it was. Um, and uh, Stevie Ray beat Joe Lozon this past weekend. Stevie Ray versus Diego Sanchez. I don't. I. I don't know if I'd want to watch that. You look at other British lightweights. Mark Diacasey versus Diego Sanchez. I think I wouldn't want to see that either. Um, 
just because I just think Diego has been through the fire so many times. He's got a great wrestling base, but he chooses not to use it, you know. Uh, had he adapted his game a little bit and thought, I'm going to go wrestle heavy here, then maybe he wouldn't have taken the amount of punishment that he's had in recent fights. And maybe he'd had a better chance to win some of them. I don't know. It's being wise after the event, I guess. But but what I do know is that Diego is taking a lot of shots now. And, and um, you know, this isn't a sport where we turn up to watch the same guy get get his backside handed to him every time he steps into the octagon. And uh, I think we're at the stage where we need to... The sport needs to look after Diego Sanchez. Um and I'd, 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 as I say, it, it might be coming across as a little condescending. It really isn't meant that way. It is said with nothing but love and respect for the guy because he is as much of a legend, I think, as, 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 as the UFC has produced in the last 15 years. Not a world champion, as you say, but his contribution to the sport in terms of the blood, sweat and tears and just the sheer wars he's put, in, uh, he's put on in the octagon, absolutely beyond, beyond question. So, uh, yeah. I hope that if he if he uh, is in a position to go out on his own terms, that he can. The last thing I would want is for it to end up being like like the repeat of what happened to Chuck Liddell, because we don't want to see people leave the UFC in that in in that way. So we'll see what happens with Diego Sanchez, but we we do obviously wish him, you know, wish him all the best, whether he has another one or whether he decides to hang them up. Um, looking further down the fight card, Ovin St. Preux bounced back with a von Flew choke submission of Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Uh, John Dodson uh, went the distance with Eddie Wine, and that was always going to be uh, a fast-paced, back-and-forth kind of affair. Uh, very, very close in, 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 in some respects. You know, I think Dodson's speed was, was the key there. Stevie Ray, Joe Lozon. Let's, let's talk about that, Sandy, because mm. Joe Lozon is another guy who I think falls into the, the legend category. You know, he's another guy, not a world champion, didn't win tough. But you talk about people who, whenever they... He's in the Brad Pickett car, uh, category for me, who whenever you see his name on the card, you know you're going to get a good fight. And the amount of bonuses he's racked up in his career backs that up. And, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was another... I thought it was an entertaining fight. Um, and, you know, Lozon, I thought, easily took the first round. And uh, Stevie Ray, after some very good cornering, actually, came roaring back edged the second on two of the cards and then went and uh, and won it down the stretch with a with a big final round. Biggest winner Stevie Ray's career, would you say? You'd have to think so. It's definitely my favourite Stevie Ray performance, personally, yeah. of all the fights that I've seen. I mean, that first round was close. He was very close to being finished. Yep. And it was definitely a 10-8 round. If you didn't score that first round 10-8, you got a, something wrong with you. You've got to get yourself checked out there because that was definitely 100% a 10-8 round for Joe Lozon. And then, like you said, Simon, you know, his corner were like, if I remember correctly, you've got to stick on the outside, stick to the, stick to the boxing, don't engage, don't grapple, don't wrestle. And uh, for the most part of the second and third round, that's exactly what he did. And boy, did he come back. I think eventually, um, um, if, I, if I remember, it, it was like four in the morning, so my memory's a little bit hazy there. I think I might have scored it a draw. I don't ever reveal my scoring for any fight other than the main event when I'm tweeting a fight night. But in my mind, I think the way I scored it was a draw eventually. But I didn't mind it being scored for Stevie Ray because I thought that third round was also potentially a 10-8 round as well uh, in his favor. So 
I really, really love that Steve Ray performance. I think um, that just personifies what he's all about. You know, he's an intelligent fighter. He's he's listening to his corner. He's got plenty of grit and heart and determination and guts. And uh, yeah, 100%, you know, Joe Lozon's uh, been a big staple for the UFC for a very long time. This was a main card slot on Fox Sports. And I think what he's going to do now is just kind of carry that momentum with him uh, to the Glasgow card. I'm sure he'll be on that Glasgow card. He he didn't manage to squeeze the fact that he wanted to find the Glasgow card on his post-fight interview, but he did make it known in uh, in some of his other interviews in the press room in the back. But yeah, that was a great performance by Steve Ray, and I think you're going to get him on that Glasgow card 100%. Yeah, I think he went chasing after Brian Stan because he wanted to get it in there. But I think the interview had finished at that point, and I think Stan turned around to him and said, I'm sorry, they won't let me carry on. So he sort of grabbed him as they were walking out the cage, which it was a shame. I think that was clearly what he wanted to just get in there, just to round things off nicely. Um, but I totally agree. That's the Stevie Roe we like to see, you know, really gritty. I think it was either a 29-28 or it was a 28-28, you know. It was, yeah, it, yeah. It was one of them, which is funny because none of the scorecards said 29-28. There was a 29-27. There was a 28-27 and there was a 28-28. So, you know, there was a little bit of discrepancy in there. But I think what we can agree on is it was a close fight. Stevie Ray definitely had to come come from behind to uh, to give himself a chance at winning. As You know, I mentioned his corner there. You know, they said to him, they said, look, you probably lost a 10-8 in the first round. You're going to really need to go for it now. Um, and he did. He really poured it on in the end. And I think if he'd had another minute, 90 seconds in that last round, Maybe he could have broken Lozon down and stopped him because Lozon was out on his feet at the end of the fight. He absolutely had very little left, and uh, it was it was it was a great performance from him against a really respected name. And I think that name value people know Joe Lozon. If they didn't know Stevie Ray, now they do. So um, who knows? I mean, we could see Stevie in a co-main or maybe even a main event in Glasgow. You never know. It depends who they want to put him in there with. Um, be interesting to see what they do. Whether they go for an all British, uh, all British lightweight scrap, you know, Mark Diacasey's knocking around, that wouldn't be a terrible matchup. Uh, or whether they look to bring over another another named opponent, you know, some someone with a bit more international star power uh, to test Stevie Ray again. So, uh, but yeah, I totally agree. Biggest performance of his career, and another guy who probably picked up the biggest performance of his career was uh, Platinum Mike Perry, who. He is must-see TV whenever he, whenever he gets in front of a camera. Um, I'm a big fan of him. Uh, I, I really enjoy, I enjoy watching him in the interviews. I enjoy talking to him. I enjoy watching him in the fights. And uh, against a, a solid campaigner like Jake Ellenberger, it was really interesting just how he went about his business. He didn't go gung-ho this time, Sandu. He really, he really showed a lot more maturity. I think he learned a lot from the Alan Joban defeat was Joban basically used his movement and his footwork to keep Perry at range and outscore him over the three rounds. This fight, Perry looked a lot more patient, worked his openings, and then when he found his chance, boy, did he explode on Jake Ellenberger. That, he hit him with a big left hand, and then when they clinched, he hit him with a short right elbow, and uh, that was a, a crushing, crushing knockout from Platinum Mike Perry. Um, He's moving on up. He's he's a major threat in that welterweight division now, isn't he? He certainly is, Simon. Um, first of all, that's going to be arguably by the end of the year on the on the top five knockouts of 2017. 
But that's a contender for knockout of the year for sure. Uh, it was a beautiful right short elbow, like you said, Simon. Mike Perry is an action fighter. Outside of the main event, Cub Swanson defeating Artem Lobov, this was my other lock of the night. Um, I've obviously, you know, followed this, you know, sport for quite some time, and I've never really been too overfilled with confidence when it comes to Jake Kellenberger's chin, even though he himself, you know, known as a juggernaut, has quite a few knockouts on his resume. But I thought if Mike Perry could kind of get his shots off um, and eventually catch Jake, Jake would, Jake would go down and. He went down in devastating fashion. I actually thought Mike Perry might get it done a little bit sooner because he is the type of fighter that is a headhunter. But like you said, Simon, he was a little bit more patient this time around. And I think he was just kind of figuring things out in those first five minutes. And it only took him a minute of the second round uh, to get the job done. And um, yeah, I think it's interesting time now uh, for, for, for Perry in this welterweight division because you certainly would, would think that you know he'd you know maybe break in to the top 15 when the the rankings are refreshed this week um, because Jake Kellenberger was ranked at number 13. So you could argue that perhaps he could just take Jake Kellenberger's slot and uh, and Jake Kellenberger would kind of, you know, fall back a little bit. But I think now um, onwards and upwards, you know, maybe he'll get a top 15 fighter. Maybe he'll uh, be able to get a top 10 uh, fighter. Maybe someone like, um, I don't know, a Kumaru Usman. You know, who's more of a grappling-based wrestler? Yeah, that'll be an interesting clash of styles to see how Mike Perry would be able to handle somebody like him, or maybe a Gunnar Nelson. You know, who's got a bit more uh, a well-rounded jiu-jitsu game to a comp to accompany uh, his grappling. But sooner or later, Mike Perry is going to come up against a fighter like that, and that's what that's why I'm trying to kind of figure out in my head where the ceiling is for Mike Perry. We know he's got great striking. We know he's got knockout power. He's an action fighter, but when he comes up against a, a, an elite grappler jiu-jitsu based fighter how will he fare and that's an interesting question mark leading into a potential fight for him further down the road yeah it's interesting you mentioned Gunnar Nelson I did a little story on that uh, on that exact possibility um, on on my new site cheeky plug mma365.com um, all viewers very welcome um, yeah I, I listened back to the uh, I didn't notice it on fight night but I listened back I watched it again uh, the following day and in his post fight interview he was asked who he wanted I think he asked Stan said who you was it who, whose life do you want me to ruin next he said and Stan just quick as a flash turned it back round on him and said well who do you want to fight next and he was like I'll fight anyone I want to fight a ranked opponent blah 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 who beat my last opponent? You know, so it's that 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 was the closest thing we got to a call out. The guy who beat his last opponent, his last opponent was obviously Alan Joban, and the guy who beat Alan Joban was Gunnar Nelson. So maybe there's a little indirect call out there of Gunnar Nelson. He, you know, he may or may not have known this, but he, he indirectly referenced that he wouldn't mind fighting Gunnar Nelson. I wouldn't mind that fight. I, I think. Gunnar Nelson is known as a, as, you know, primarily as a grappler. He's got good striking. Ask Alan Joban about that. Um, but also, Gunnar Nelson has never been stopped. By, he's never been stopped by TKO. So, you know, it's, he, I think he's lost twice, both by decision. So he has never been stopped. That, I think, lends a really interesting uh, narrative to this fight because it isn't just, it's, you know, striker versus grappler, obviously. But Nelson can bang as well, you know, and he's got a very awkward style. He keeps it, he keeps at arm's length, and then when he closes the distance, 
he dominates, he takes people to the mat and uh, he strangles them. So it's going to be really interesting. That, that That's a matchup I wouldn't mind seeing. I wouldn't mind seeing a Matt Brown fight as well, even though potentially that would mean um, Mike Perry possibly fighting a guy ranked one spot below him. Um, you know, you could see Perry slotting in there at number 14, Ellenberger jumping out of the rankings, Brown staying where he is. From a stylistic point of view, that would be an absolute barn burner. Usman, I think, would be arguably, you know, the toughest, the you know, the toughest test he could have outside of the top top nine, uh, because he looks an absolute monster at 170, and he's coming along well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you sort of look down that welterweight list. There isn't a bad fight in there for Mike Perry. It's going to be, it's going to be really, really good fun watching watching him, whoever he goes in against. Santiago Ponzinibbio is, is, is a great fun fight as well because he's all action as well. That would, be, that would be absolutely bonkers for as long as it lasted as well. So many options for Platinum Mike Perry and uh, his own special brand of trash talk. Uh, just running down a prelim, Sandu, who are, who, who are your standout performers on, on, on the prelim card? Brandon Moreno. <laughs> That's that's the fire that I think um, everybody was kind of talking about um, from that prelim card, and you know he got a performance of the night bonus, and he's he's in a he's a really exciting fighter. I think I um I messed up his name on um on Twitter and, and called him uh, the baby assassin. It's it's the it's a bit it's, harsh. It, yeah, <laughs> it's the assassin baby. Well, it is four o'clock in the morning when I'm going to get these tweets out. This you know, is very so true. You have to forgive me there when I mess up, but. Uh, you know, there's always somebody on Twitter to kind of uh, let you know when you, you know, cop things up. But um, he is in a really, really exciting fight. He's 23 years old. Um, he's Mexican. He can speak English, which is good uh, in terms of trying to market himself to a more global audience. And he is now on this amazing uh, win streak, which goes back to 2012. And it's what we're talking about here. We're talking about almost 10 fights that he's won in a row now. And... Um, his last few um, have been in the UFC. He has three in a row in the UFC. And, um, you know, he's the kind of fighter that the flyweight division needs. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to say that perhaps you should put him right up there um, and, and try and fast track him to, to potentially fight Demetrius Johnson um, as soon as possible. Um, but the flyweight division needs new blood, Simon. You know, uh, and that that's just uh, that's just facts. And I, I want to see where this will potentially put him. He's he was ranked number ten heading into this fight. Now, you know, if he can perhaps jump to a, a five or a six or a seven position when these uh, official rankings are updated this week, why not stick him in there with um, a Ray Borg? You know, and just make that a number one contender fight. Uh, and have the winner, you know, fight Demetrius Johnson um, later on this year. But he is such an exciting fighter, Simon. I'm really, um, you know, happy with the way he's kind of got about his business. The actual submission itself was was brilliant. Uh, he got Dustin on, or Dustin Ortiz into uh, a bit of a flurry, uh, hit, got him to the ground with strikes, and just jumped on him uh, with a with a rear naked choke. And that was the first time um, that he had been uh, Dustin Ortiz had been stopped. Uh, in his entire career and lost a fight due to um, a submission. So, you know, Dustin Ortiz, 28 years of old, um, you know, he's been around the block 
So that was a great, great win for Moreno. And th that was one of, honestly, just a few highlights on that prelim portion of the card. Because for the most part, the prelims weren't pretty. <laughs> no. No, the Brian Barbarena-Joe Proctor fight I enjoyed thoroughly. Largely mm -hmm. because they started taunting each other. And at one, one point, I mean, both of those guys are action fighters. You knew you were going to get a good fight out of both of those guys. And then they were sort of spreading their arms wide and going, come on then, let's have some. And Proctor did that once too many. And uh, Barbarena was very clever. He stretched his arms out, but then threw a right hook from, pretty much came in from stage right. And it was so wide that Proctor just didn't see it coming. And uh, that, that wobbled him and Barbarena just put him away in, in, in pretty decisive fashion. That was a good performance. He's, he's always one to watch. You know, we talked about Joe Lozon. Um, being an exciting guy to watch. Brian Barberina brings it as well. He's he's the sort of guy, you know, he can mess up your accumulator if you you know, you you stick him in there with a more a more well known name, he's gonna give him a good fight and may even win. You know, he's one of these dangerous dangerous floaters in that welterweight division. So he's someone who's probably gonna get a little move up in competition next time around. And we had a big KO in the first fight of the night at flyweight and we don't see many of those at flyweight but Hector Sandoval looked very good against Matt Schnell he's someone he was calling for a title shot after that fight first fight of the night and he wants a title shot next so um you know he, you've got to admire the guy's uh chutzpah for uh you know shooting for the shooting for the moon and uh you know hopefully he'll, he'll get himself a, a ranked opponent and he can move himself up as well but uh you know I I, I said this fight card was a bit of a sneaky fight card. I thought, I thought that you know there was some potentially really good scraps on there. They didn't all deliver, if I'm honest. We had a few, a few, uh, a few more decisions that you know the fights didn't catch fire in the way that I'd hoped. But we did see some decent performances in there, as you say, just running over the bonus winners. The main event boys, Cub Swanson, Artem Lobov, both banked themselves fifty thousand dollars for the fight of the night. Uh, Mike Perry and Brandon Moreno. Also got 50 Gs for the performance of the night. Uh, our Iaquinta can consider himself unlucky uh, not to have picked one up. But I think that submission from Brandon, Brandon Moreno was the thing that trumped him. Mike Perry was not going to miss out on a bonus after that elbow knockout of Jake Ellenberger. So that, that prelim technical submission, because he actually put him out, didn't he, um, in the... Uh, in the FS2 prelims from Brandon Moreno, that's probably what just edged our Iaquinta out. That was UFC Fight Night. Uh, what was it? 108, I think it was. UFC Fight Night 108 in Nashville, Tennessee. Let's do some Q&A, Sandu. Let's do some Q&A. I know we've got a fair few questions this week, so let's make sure that we... Because I think we got called out by Stephen Murray. Stephen Murray, I know you're listening. You called us out because we didn't answer both of your questions last week. Uh, I'm sure we will we, we will uh, endeavour to answer your questions this week and uh, we'll try and get through all of them uh, before we lock up shop and uh, head off into the night here on uh, April 24th. Sandu, let's do it. At the Britpack MMA is the Twitter handle if you want to reach out to us throughout the week and, and shoot some questions. Uh, there was one uh, <laughs> Twitter user who goes by the name of Be Happy uh, who sent us a, no word of a lie. I think a dozen questions. Now, I appreciate the enthusiasm and, and, <laughs> and the passion to send us questions. But if you're going to send us a question, try and keep it to one, maybe two, because we're not going to get all 12 of your questions on, on, you know, on the show. Uh, there's other questions to ask. And, um, 
yeah, so we're not going to get all your questions in, but um, I've included a couple of his on this week's uh, segment. But before we get to his, I'm going to start off with um, Stephen Murray's. And uh, he says, with the exciting addition of Marlon Moraes, do you expect the UFC to sign Justin Gaethje now as well? So, Simon, Marlon Moraes, Justin Gaethje, uh, well, at the moment, Marlon Moraes is a UFC fighter, but he comes from WSOF. Justin Gaethje, if I'm not mistaken, is still technically um, a WSOF fighter. The WSOF have now rebranded and reformed as the PFL, the Professional Fighters League, mm. where there's essentially, in a nutshell, a $10 million pool that's going to be distributed to all the fighters, and it's going to be seven different weight classes, it's going to be a league format over the course of a year, which starts next January. And there's a few more details like the fight, all the fighters inclu- involved getting a monthly salary. I don't know what this means for current WSO fighters, if those contracts just rock over to the PFL or not. But to be honest, I'm just holding my hands up here. I, don't, I haven't really watched that much WSOF and I'm not familiar I'm familiar with the names I'm familiar with Marlon Moraes I'm familiar with Justin Gaethje but I can't tell you right now I've seen their last five or six fights because the way I think most MMA fans and especially I I do the way I consume my MMA there's a hierarchy here you know you're going to have your UFCs at the top then you're going to have the Bellator cards and then being you know you know Brit journalists that we are if we could try and catch a cage warriors and a bama card we're going to do that but then you know you've got wsof and you've got abc acb and you've got you know ksw and then you've got one in asia but for me wsof you know we don't get it on tv here in the uk right there's no tv distribution deal here so i'm not i'm not too familiar with their performances but um from reading some of the kind of interviews that i've read and some of the reports coming out stateside it appears that Justin Gaethje is going to be following Marlon Moraes into the UFC. Is that how you've read things as well, Simon? That's my assumption. And we right. know what assumption does. But, you know, <laughs> um, it would make sense. I think given given the change of business model with WSOF and the fact that they are now no longer the WSOF, I don't know what that means for the contracts that are still active. You know, maybe maybe those contracts are now effectively open and the fighters have the option of signing a new deal with the professional fighters league the way they seem to be setting it up it's very much uh i hesitate to use the word tournament based it's it's league based isn't it but it's within a a period of time rather than being a year-round constant constant churn of events it is a specific season that they're going to create and the fighters will fight within the confines of that season so, and it sounds like it's not going to start until January 2018. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's, that's quite a wait for anybody who's under contract. Um, so I, I, I would assume, and I'm, you know, I've been wrong many times before, but I would assume that what they're looking to do is to basically mop up some of these fighters who are competing across different, uh, different organizations, put them all into this, again tournament league whatever you want to call it but still allow them to fight outside so they're almost like um in the same way that you get you know footballers go off on international duty don't they and they play for their countries and all the rest of it they can go and compete in this particular promotion 
for this competition, but then they can go back and fight for Bama or whoever, assuming they're not on a on a uh, exclusive contract, and not everybody is. So that I'm assuming is what they're looking at. Uh, people like um, the uh, the top guys in the WSOF and Gaethje is is obviously the you know the one we're talking about here. You would assume that he effectively becomes a free agent at this point. I don't know whether that's true, um, but if it does, then you would think that he would you know the UFC would be nuts not to sign him. Um, you know, I'm sure Bellator would be very interested in him as well because he could become a a marquee name for them. You know, there's some decent fights available at that lightweight division over there as well. But um, you know, he's, he's he's world champion. He's defended his defended his well, technically he's defended it five times. But in reality, he's he's fought in tight six. He was going to defend it six times. Melvin Gillard uh, didn't make weight for one of those title defenses. So you know, and he's his last four fights all finished by TKO stoppage. He's a dangerous fighter. Uh, I think it might have been the first fight with Luis Palomino. That was one of the fights of the year in 2015, um, and I saw bits and pieces of that. Same as you, Sandy. We don't get WSOF on television here in the UK, um, so it requires a little bit of detective work in order to see some of these fights, and uh, especially given the time that they're being shown, and sometimes they clash with other events that we're covering, it can get a bit tricky. So I've seen some of his work, and he, he looks a solid, a solid prospect who, if he jumped into that 155 division, I think he'd be a dangerous addition. But we've seen what's happened. Look at Will Brooks. He was Bellator mm-hmm. champion. He moved over to the UFC. He got a win on his debut against Ross Pearson. But he's really struggled to find any kind of traction since then. So Gaethje, I think, might stand a better chance just because he's got the ability to end fights quickly. And he's, he's got that aggression that maybe maybe Brooks doesn't have. Brooks is a little bit more considered. But mm-hmm. someone like Gaethje, I think, would, would bring a lot of uh, pressure and a lot of action to his fights. So I'd, be, I'd love to see him make the switch. And if he ends up in Bellator, that would be a great get for them as well. You know, so, you know, you've, you've, got, you've got the Pitbull fight that they could make over there. And, you know, obviously the championship fight, you know, you, he could almost jump straight into a championship fight in Bellator. He's that good. So I'm looking forward to seeing where he lands. Wherever he goes, he's going to get more tests. That's for sure. Um, He's 17 and 0. So anybody who's jumping in to the UFC, 17 and 0, 14, actually 15 stoppages, 14 knockouts. That's an impressive record. Only two of his fights have gone the distance. You know, that alone, and he's coached by, I'm just, I'm on his Wikipedia now, you can probably gather this. But he's, he's coached by Trevor Whitman, who's one of the best striking coaches in the game. So you know he's going to be, he's going he's gonna to have great hands. And he just, you can jump him straight into that top top ten, top fifteen at the UFC uh, lightweight level. He's going to be very competitive, and that that that's what I hope happens. Next question: Has there been two coaches on the Ultimate Fighter that hate each other as much as TJ and Cody? I watched the first episode, and it looks like fireworks. So, two questions for you, Sai. Number one: Have you seen the first episode, and and what did you think? And number two. Is TJ and Cody the biggest rivalry in Ultimate Fire history? Okay, let me let, let me let me flip these round. The answer to the second question is no, because nobody hated each other more than Ken Shamrock and Tito Ortiz. And if you don't believe me, go back and watch it. They could not stand the sight of each other. Some of these some of these rivalries uh, sort of bubbled up as, as as the seasons went on. You know, Rashad and, and uh, Rampage. 
were getting at it for quite a lot of their season. But there was a lot of winding up going on, especially from Rashad. So I think that was a little different. There wasn't the, the sheer hatred on both sides. I think Rashad was just pushing Rampage's buttons. But Tito versus Ken, for me, that is that is still to this day one of the one of the greatest, most heated rivalries in UFC history. So uh, I would I would definitely recommend you go back and watch that season, um, because they genuinely detested one another, um, and it made for it made for great TV. As for this season, seen episode one. Do you know what? I'm really enjoying it so far. I thought it was it's 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 still the same old tough because. You know, what can you do with that format? But bringing the old guys back and giving them another shot. And the fact that you've got someone like Joe Daddy Stevenson is there. And then you've got people like Eddie Gordon who are much more much more recent. You know, it's it's really interesting. You've got a real spread of, of, of competitors over the years. And they're all back in there again. And uh, I think it's great. I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm seeing so far. Um, and I think the fights are going to be, I think they're going to be good. Um and you know the presentation of it is always is always solid. I think you know they do a good job of producing it, but it's needed something just to give it a little bit of a spark to make it interesting again. And you've got a bit of a win double because you've got the whole comeback element of it, but you've also got that that bubbling rivalry between Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw, which is definitely definitely uh, one of the more heated rivalries out there. But I also think Dillashaw is 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 more than capable of winding Garbrandt up. Garbrandt is a very professional guy to deal with outside of the fights, but when he's got his game face on, he can just flip like that. And clearly, you know, you know, we saw it um, on on, on the, the first episode. Um, I think I think we've got a lot of fun and games to come. Uh, it might not be the most uh, joke-filled season, but I think it's good, you know, in terms of the quality of the fights and the intensity level, I think this one could be a good one. Yeah, I saw the I saw the first episode last week. the The UFC's um, PR team send everybody in the media um, a special private screener. Yeah. Um. So, so which is quite uh, handy uh, for you and me, side because we don't have to stay up until three in the three o'clock in the morning uh, to watch it. We can actually watch it earlier that particular day. Um, I'll be honest. I'm really not fussed too much about the competition itself I, I mean it's a nice novelty to bring the old folks back and some of the uh the previous um ultimate fire um contenders uh, participants contestants how you have you want to phrase the the terminology there the reason i'm not fussed and i don't have any emotions invested in the competition is because it doesn't lead to anything Yes, they're fighting for some money, and it's a nice little prize pool there. Yeah. But the last time they did this, you had a title shot available to you at the end of the, you know, at the end of the competition, right? And we all know what happened there. Yeah. And we, without that kind of carrot being dangled for the potential winner, it doesn't do anything for me. It just doesn't do anything for me. I'm being honest. Mm. And and it's been a, it's been a few years since I've even bothered to watch the the first episode of the Ultimate Fire. I haven't watched in a few years. Haven't been, haven't really been bothered. I thought that the rivalry between uh, T.J. Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt was um, really the must-see TV element of the actual episode itself. Whether this becomes the most heated rivalry in, in tough history, or you know what have you, it'll take the entire season to to fully evaluate that because you've only seen a snippet of what's to potentially come in that first episode. You saw. 
TJ go for for Cody. Sorry, you could saw Cody go for TJ's neck. Um, you know, right off the bat, just before the very first fight. Um, so you know, if there's going to be a few more physical altercations, fine. That's that. I suppose that makes for great TV. But I think it's more the cerebral stuff. It's more the psychological back and forth that they're going to have in that close proximity. That's what I'm looking forward to. That's what I hope kind of unravels throughout the course of the season. Of course, you've got the uh, the Dwayne Ludwig and you know Uriah Faber element hanging hanging over the the course of the two fighters in this season as well. So. For the first time in a long time, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm gonna de- I'll definitely watch the next couple of weeks just to kind of see how much more of this uh, storyline between TJ and Cody develops because that's really what I'm interested in. But like I said, the competition, not so much. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying about the fact that there's nothing beyond the finale in terms of where they go next. But actually, I think in some ways that's a good thing because... They've almost tried to force it to fit. What we have seen, if you look at previous seasons of The Ultimate Fighter, sort of early on, and the more recent seasons, they're not generating guys who can jump straight in and be sort of world-level world guys, you know? The fact that they, you know, the last tournament they did, they did a flyweight tournament to give uh, a, a shot to the winner against uh, Demetrius Johnson, and Tim Elliott won that. Um, that was it was it was a desperate attempt to give it credibility, but it was undermined by the fact that both the coaches were more deserving of the title shot than the guy who won the season. So that's that in itself was a problem. So the fact that you don't have that issue, you know, you're not giving them a, a contract and they're just going to go in and fight on the fight past prelims. You know, it's I think it's, I, in many ways I think it actually helps it. It frees it up a little bit. And what you've got is people who you're kind of familiar with and they're just fighting for a few a few bucks. I don't mind that. Something they could potentially do, you know, Vitor Belfort was talking about a Legends League, wasn't it? You could do a Legends tough season. You're rolling your eyes at that. But, you know, it's it's something you could do. It's something you could do and people would watch it. You're telling me you wouldn't watch The Ultimate Fighter with Vitor Belfort in the house... And Dan Henderson in the house, and God knows who else they could drag up and stick in the house. It would be interesting. I mean, the fights wouldn't be the super high quality world championship level fights that they used to be in, but people would watch because of the names. And that, in some ways, is more of a draw than 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 people that no one has heard of who might have a shot. You know what I mean? I think the format is on its last legs, and I think this particular season. I think it might just about it might just about work, um, but beyond this, I don't know where they go with it. I really don't. But um, yeah, I'm going to watch it this season. What the hell? I'm you know I'm a sucker for these things anyway. I'll watch them anyway. Fair enough. Uh, Daryl Trumbly says, uh, "Do you think performance of the night bonuses are a good thing?" Al is going off at the UFC as he didn't win one. I say scrap them and pay fighters more. So I don't know what the solution is here. I mean, the thing with bonuses are they they are discretionary. It's up to the UFC. I mean, the UFC doesn't need to include bonuses there. They're, they're you know it's incentivized for the fighters. You know, before it used to be knockout of the night and submission of the night and whatnot, and now they're trying to change it to fight of the night and performance tonight. The the one theory is is, is instead of instead of having you know um, show and win money. 
is why not just have guaranteed money um, for all the fights? That way, a fighter isn't mentally thinking, right, I've got to win this fight by any means necessary because I really, really need that win bonus. So, and, and that sometimes, you know, might lead to, you know, boring fights, fighters that are just trying to close out the show. Um, you know, if you're a grappler, you're just going to like, you know, grab hold of somebody because you've won the first two rounds. You just want to try and cruise through or get through that third round so you can guarantee yourself a win. If going into that fight, you know that you've already banked what you're going to bank, then you can just go for it. Then it's just all about trying to accumulate a win-loss record and, um, you know, uh, trying to get as many highlight reel performances on your record to try and get to that title fight eventually down the road. I, I don't know what the right solution is. I mean, to be honest with you, the right solution is if the the fighters are all able to, to uh, collectively bargain um, and, and form some sort of union uh, or association so that they can all kind of have uh, a unified voice heard so that they can get their... Uh, their 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 compensation upped, but that doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon. Do you know what they should do? They should let them like wear their own like t-shirts and stuff, and they could get sponsors on it, and they could earn <laughs> yeah. a few more dollars. I don't no. know. I don't know. I, you know, someone maybe suggest that to the UFC. That might be a good idea. But no, all joking aside, the solution for me is flat fee contracts. Yeah, and you see, Bellator have have done that with a couple of their signings. I know Ryan Bader uh, explained that he's on a flat fee. He knows what money he's going to earn uh, every single time he steps into the cage until the duration of his 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 deal has expired. But what I would do, I would dispense with the bonus, the uh, the bonus, the sort of discretionary bonuses. And what you do, rather than having show money and win money, you have your flat fee, but you have a finish bonus. So what it means is you get your money, win, lose, draw, okay? But if you win the fight by finish, TKO, submission, knockout, whatever, you get a contracted bonus. So that to me makes most sense because that means everybody has an equal opportunity to get a certain amount of money going in and they they can have a little cherry on top if they can win the fight by stoppage, that then encourages people to not fight to win because you want, you know, everyone's going to fight to win, but what you're going to have is people who they're going to go for the kill. They're going to go for the bonus. They're going to look. And hopefully what that then produces is more exciting fights. Because if you know that you're going to get X amount on top by winning by, by, um, by stoppage, then I think that's the way forward. So maybe you have a flat fee, whatever that flat fee might be, and then everybody gets the same percentage. So you get a percentage of your of your flat fee added on top, tacked on top. So whether it be, we'll give you another 20% on top or 25% on top or whatever it be or 50%, you know, depending on what it is. But everyone gets the same percentage, whether they're Conor McGregor, whether they're Mickey Gall, or whether they're someone making their UFC debut, they get the same percentage of their of of their uh, appearance money, if you like. And I think that might be the best way to go about it because it means people know they're getting a guaranteed sum of money when they step in the cage, and they can budget for that in terms of training and all the rest of it. There's not a you know there's not a situation where you know people people work on the basis that. You know, you get show and win, and it's 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 fifty fifty split, isn't it? Um, 
but with a win bonus, it's 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 a much bigger slice. So maybe if 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 the the slice that you get guaranteed is bigger, and then you get finish bonuses, because then what it does, if the UFC ends up paying out a little bit more because they're getting lots of finishes, maybe that's not such a bad thing because they're getting a better product. Um, and if someone is just fighting and getting decisions, you're not having to to, uh, to pay them as much. So that's what I would do anyway. Paul James tweets in and says, what would our Mount Rushmore of British MMA fighters be? Oh, for, him, for, for him, it's Bisping, Hardy, Daly, and Pickett. Are we saying four and names? Are we saying four? Is that what we're, talking we're, about? we're saying four names. And to be honest with you, I think he's nailed it. I think Michael Bisping, Dan Hardy, Paul Daly, and Brad Pickett right now is the way is is what mine would be as well i mean it, it that could all change if, if jimmy manuel wins himself a light heavyweight championship in the next year but as things currently stand i think that's it for me what about you sir i let me try and be different go on bisbing yes dan hardy yes brad pickett yes the fourth the fourth one would be just to be different and i think i think is you know it's it's a viable shout. Ian, Ian Freeman. Yeah. Ian the Machine Freeman, the first Brit to really get in there and, and, and do the business in the octagon, got that memorable win over Frank Mir. Uh, at the, I think it was at the Brawl at the Royal Albert Hall, I think it was. Um, and I believe that there was a backstory to that fight. He's, I think it was his father passed away, either the day of the fight or the day before the fight. And they didn't tell him. I think they told him after the fight. So he went in there, beat Frank Mir, and then after I, I have to go back and check that. But um, I, I, if if my memory serves me right, that is what happened. Um, and uh, yeah, Ian the Machine Freeman. I think obviously with the growth of the UFC now, you know, there's so many more people watching the sport. Um, there are the you know the more current names, but I think it's good to have a nod to the. You know, the early Pathfinders. And from a British perspective, that man was Ian the Machine Freeman. So he would be the first one. He'd be number one. And then, because you do it sort of chronologically, maybe. You have him on there. Then you have uh, Bisbing, Pickett and Hardy all, all kind of fought in, in the same era. So they would be the other three. But yeah, I'd have Ian the Machine Freeman on there. Not good shout there, so RG tweets and then says, exactly how deep should the UFC bury Todd Grisham? Ouch. So clear. So clearly, he's uh, he's, a he's not. A, yeah, he's a he's a big fan of Todd Grisham. Um, I'll say this much in terms of the broadcast, I didn't mind it. I actually thought Brian Stan had a belter of a night. Uh, I really just loved um, his call on the action and just his overall performance. Now, Todd Grisham, he comes from a professional wrestling background. That's where he's kind of spent, you know, most of his time, kind of you know, learning his trade and learning his craft. And then he obviously spent a lot of time behind the desk at ESPN, went back into the commentary booth for glory. He needs some time. And I think the fans and their make community just need to give him some time to kind of figure things out. He's figuring out what works, what doesn't work. Uh, that was only his second, um, you know, commentary gig. He's done the desk work for, for Fox sports a few times now, but Give him a year. Let him figure things out. And, and I'm sure he'll be kind of um, chopped and changed and put into different uh, commentary tag teams to kind of figure out, you know, what mixture works best for him as well. But, um, you know, he butchered a couple of names, you know, here and there. 
But that's to be expected. You know, you've got everybody else. Look, look at John Anik. He's been doing this for about, what, six, seven years now? Um, and he was calling Bellator fights before then. So. Yeah, exactly. So he's been doing this for quite some time. And I think, you know, again, going back to Grisham's style of commentary, you know, he comes from the professional wrestling background of the WWE. Um, he's going to put his own spin spin on things. Um, but yeah, I just think you need to give him time. You know, I, I, I think everyone's always quick to jump um, on anyone that's kind of new, that's different, um, you know, that kind of shakes the place up a little bit, not what you're expecting. Uh, nobody likes change, but, you know, this is who the UFC owners, WMEIMG, have picked um, to be one of the commentators uh, for this uh, Fox Sports series of fights. Um, so I think, me personally, I don't mind him. I really don't. Um, and maybe that's because I'm a pro wrestling fan. And maybe that's because I have kind of seen him come up through the ranks and, you know, do his thing for WWE back in the day. I don't mind him. I mean, overall, Simon, what are your thoughts so far on the first couple of gigs that Todd Grisham has performed for the UFC? I don't mind him. I don't mind him. I mean, I can understand why some people have taken taken an instant dislike because he is very different and as you say people don't like change people don't like things to be different to what they're used to um i remember when when uh whenever uh joe rogan wasn't doing the the uh sort of the uh, the analyst role people would be just on my timeline would be raging where's joe rogan blah 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 blah, blah. why have we got this guy this that the other um you know the fact is you need different voices you need different different people you can't just have one guy calling everything it's almost a physical impossibility with the amount of shows that are being put on if if you've heard Todd Grisham calling glory fights he's great i think he's thoroughly entertaining he he adds a certain amount of uh, of passion and hype to the events that you know some people like some people don't Mauro Ronaldo people love Mauro Ronaldo and i'm i'm a huge fan now he has a very unique style of commentary as well. He's very different from a John Anik and who is also very different from a Mike Goldberg. So I think people just, you know, I think, I think Todd needs more time. I also think that people need to give him more time as well. I, I do think that his best role, and this isn't in any way uh, knocking, you know, what he's done behind the commentary, Mike, his best role for the UFC would be on the desk. Um, interacting with the pundits in between the fights, doing the pre-fight show, the post-fight show, being that guy because he's got the he's got the charisma for that. He's he's got the sense of humour that I think would work well with the with the guest pundits. I think he does a fine job as a commentator, and I think he'll get better the more he does. Um, but I think overall, I think his best his best position would be fronting fronting the. Uh, fronting the broadcast from the studio i think that would be a great spot for him but um yeah i you know i certainly wouldn't bury the guy i i, I you know i quite like him and i think there are certain commentary uh combinations that they could try with him that i think would work daniel cormier i think would be uh, a fun partner for him on, on on commentary and i think stan stan was 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 a very good partner for him um i don't know whether him and dominic cruz would mesh Right, I don't know. I just don't know whether the the uh, the chemistry would be quite right there. Um, but I do. I think the Cormier would be and and uh, Todd Grisham would work well as a pair, sort of a high energy duo. 
and I think Stan worked well as well. Um, but yeah, give give the guy time. He's called two shows, um, and I think he'll only get better the more he does. Final question of the week: Adam Schoen says, "Who is next for Stevie Ray, and will the UFC put some big names on the Glasgow card, given the poor reception the London card had?" So. I'll answer the second part of the question first. The UFC did announce a few fights for the Glasgow card. No one that's going to, you know, break any records. So I'm expecting, I'm quietly confident that the UFC uh, will put on uh, some big names for that for that Glasgow um, card. Only from the fact that this will be their second time in Glasgow and the first time they had an amazing crowd there. And that Glasgow crowd was at times loud enough, if not louder, to rival some of the big shows they've had in Dublin in in the last couple of years. So will they put on some big names in reaction to the poor reception the London card received? I'm not so sure. I think the next time they come to London, they'll have to really kind of make sure that they uh, give um, Londoners and, and, and and the British crowd a a decent card to travel in for especially those that come into london i think the london card will need some you know work the next time they come around only because i think the attendance dropped one or two thousand this time around as well but that was kind of justified with the 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 rise in in ticket prices which kind of almost um evened out how much um, the gate was compared to 2016 so we'll see how things go for glasgow in regards to stevie ray i saw one paul felder uh, react to a tweet online today if he was interested in buying Stevie Ray in Glasgow. I am well up for that. Paul Felder's uh, um, an action fighter. He's been over here in Europe a couple of times um, uh, as a guest fighter. We saw him last, Simon, uh, in Belfast. He likes coming over here to this side of the pond to fight. Um, and I think getting a main card fight versus Stevie Ray makes the hell of a lot of sense for him. And um, I think uh, for for Stevie's style of fighting, given the fact that he's got that kind of kickboxing style, but he's also got that grappling and jiu-jitsu in his locker that I don't think Felder's got in 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 his locker as well as Stevie. I think could be a decent matchup for him. What do you think, Si? Yeah, I like the sound of that. I like the sound of that. I I like the sound of a fight with Mike Diakese, Um but I like the sound of the Felder fight. I mean, any two from that three would be a great matchup. I think. Uh, in terms of the big names, I, I don't think we'll get a load of big names in Glasgow. I think what we can expect is all of the Scottish fighters to be on that card. It mm-hmm. would, it, it's a no-brainer. You know, it was the the reason why that crowd did so well wasn't because Michael Bisbing was on the card because he was the biggest name on that fight card, and he always draws and he all you know people always get behind him or against him, you know, whatever. And the, and the Scottish crowd were definitely behind him that night. But he wasn't the biggest roar of the night by any stretch of the imagination. You know that was res- that that was reserved for Rob Whiteford, who currently isn't on the UFC's books. If I was the UFC, I'd get him back on. I'd get him back on and put him on the Scotland on 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 that Glasgow card. Stevie Ray, absolutely get him on that Glasgow card. Paul Craig, we already know he's on that card. He's taking on uh, Khalil Roundtree, and we have got Joanne Calderwood, who uh, is waiting for a fight. So. Get them all on the card. I think that, with a few well-made matchups around it, I guess we'll probably see a few English fighters on there. Um, 
you know, maybe Artem can fight on that card as well, get him over there. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Gunnar Nelson on that card, to be honest. Um, so, you know, it'd be interesting to see what they do. Will it be a star-studded event in terms of getting the big names on? No, is the short answer, because it's a fight night event. And the way that the UFC are looking to do things now, they're looking to put two world title fights on every pay-per-view. They're looking to stack the deck on the pay-per-views because the pay-per-views are where they make their money. The fight night events basically are servicing a contract. And this is what we all need to be very aware of. The TV companies have already paid their money and the UFC have contracted to put shows on. What they haven't said is, we're going to put all of our big names on. They've just said, we're going to put shows on. And these are fight night shows. The big superstar names and the big superstar fights, you're going to have to pay a little extra for them. At least you are in America. We're fortunate in insofar as we get the pay-per-views wrapped up, uh, rolled up as part of our TV subscriptions. But in terms of getting the big fights over here, uh, I just think the way that the business model works that's unlikely. I don't think it's a realistic expectation. So all we can hope for is great matchmaking, exciting up-and-coming fighters, and the best fighters that are coming out of these shores. And in Glasgow, obviously, we want as many Scottish fighters on that card as possible um, so that the guys up there get to watch and cheer on their own. Um, and it gives the Scottish fighters an opportunity to fight on home ground, which you know they're not going to get too often. So... That's how I see it. I don't think it's going to be a superstar-laden card, but you can bet it's going to be a, a sold-out crowd and the atmosphere will be through the roof again. And that's the lot for this week, Simon. That's all the questions. Perfect. Tweet questions for us throughout the week. Uh, as Sandy said, try and keep it to one or two so we don't get completely snowed under, but we will always try and answer them where we can. Uh, tweet it to at the Britpack MMA. Um, if you want to just generally chat, um, then you can tweet Sandu at Sandu MMA and you can tweet me at Simon Head. The website uh, is live and open for business 24-7, 365. You can get that at the BritpackMMA.com. Uh, on there, you'll get all the details of how and where to subscribe. Uh, you'll be able to stream the show live from the website as well. We're available on SoundCloud, Acast, Stitcher. Do we call it iTunes anymore? I think they're calling it Apple Podcasts now. Oh, I have no idea. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not an Apple user at all. Yeah, no, it was iTunes. I assume you can still subscribe via iTunes. But uh, I think you can also get it, obviously, via the Apple Podcasts app, which I believe is a, a bit of a new rebranding or a new app that they're bringing out. So uh, you can get it through there. And did I mention SoundCloud? You can get it on SoundCloud as well. Uh, and we will bung, the, uh, we'll bung it up on, on YouTube as well. That wraps everything up uh, for show number 36 of the Brit Pack. Now, at the very beginning of the show, we said that um, you guys listening can give us a bit of a hand. And we're going to have a few topics that we'll talk about on next week's show. But given that we've got a little bit of a run-up until the next big UFC event, UFC 211, which is a couple or three weeks away, um, if there are any slightly off-the-wall topics, challenges things you want us to talk about that maybe aren't the norm you know just standard talking about this fight coming up or who should fight who if you've got anything a little bit different you want to hear from us mma related of course uh tweet us at the brit pack mma uh give us a few suggestions and uh, you never know we might see if we can incorporate one or two of those in the next two or three shows 
as we uh, fill the gap until UFC 211. That's all we've got time for this week on The Brit Pack. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll speak to you next week.